0: you open God's Word with me to the psalm we sang at the beginning, Psalm 8, and then we'll go to Jeremiah chapter 2, and then we'll look at the church's confession of God's truth in the Heidelberg Catechism. Psalm 8, first of all, Psalm 8 to the chief musician on the instrument of Gath, the Psalm of David. God's holy word, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas, Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. From that cheerful passage, return to Jeremiah chapter 2, and a sad indictment against God's unfaithful people. Jeremiah, prophet Jeremiah chapter 2. Hearing God's word at Jeremiah 2 verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord. I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel is holiness to the Lord, the firstfruits of his increase. All that devour him will offend, disaster will come upon them, says the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What injustice have your fathers found in me, that they have gone far from me, have followed idols, and have become idolaters? Neither did they say, Where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and the shadow of death? Through a land that no one crossed and where no one dwelt. I brought you into a bountiful country to eat its fruit and its goodness. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priest did not say, where is the Lord? And those who handle the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal. And walked after things that do not profit. Therefore I will yet bring charges against you, says the Lord, and against your children's children. I will bring charges. For pass beyond the coast of Cyprus and see. Send to Kedar and consider diligently. And see if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. God's Holy Word. We end the reading there. I invite you to take out the smaller Forms and Prayers book in front of you to turn to page 203 in that book, page 203. We're in the Heidelberg Catechism. If you're visiting with us, this catechism is just a question-answer format in which the main truths of the Bible are summarized and divided by 52 Lord's Days so that hopefully in the course of about a year... The church can consider the main teachings of the Bible over the course of that year. And so we're in Lord's Day 3. We're learning about our sin and our need of Jesus. And we learned in Lord's Day 2 that God's law requires we love God with all of our hearts, our neighbors as ourselves, but we can't live up to that perfectly. We're inclined to hate God and neighbor. Question answer 5 says we're inclined to hate God and neighbor by our sinful nature. And now Lord's Day 3, question 6 asks... Did God create man so wicked and perverse that he should hate God and neighbor? But we confess, no, God created man good and in his own image, that is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might truly know God as creator, love him with all his heart, and live with God in eternal happiness for his praise and glory. And question 7 says, well, then where does man's corrupt nature come from? And we confess, from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. This fall has so poisoned our nature that we are all conceived and born in sin. And turning the page finally, but are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined toward all evil? And the answer is yes. Unless or until we are born again by the Spirit of God. Let's bow our heads to ask for God's blessing this evening. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful that you teach us the truth. Truth that's not always pleasant to hear, but truth received by faith that's necessary. For how else should we know our great need of Jesus Christ or the reason we ought to be so thankful for him? So come, God, and unfold your word to us. We pray that even for those who have known these truths of total depravity for a long time, that tonight our hearts would be humbled to see again how desperate our condition apart from Christ and how wondrous our life in Christ. Grant us your blessing of your word tonight, we pray, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. People of God, tonight we talk about treachery, our treachery, our betrayal of God. It can be compared, I think, to robbery, to stealing. Robbery is not a good thing, and if we rob those we love or are loved by, it's it's a form of betrayal, right? It's happened that children have stolen from their parents, even parents have stolen from their children and so forth. Sometimes even those who've who've opened their home to a needy relative have been robbed by them. I know a family that opened their home to a destitute relative, showed great care and love, but when the relative left, later on they discovered things were missing. Money was missing. Items were missing. It's always been a possibility of that kind of thievery. Today we hear a lot about another kind of theft, identity theft, and we often think of being robbed by strangers, right? Maybe on the internet, searching for your social security number or something. But, but there's also something called family identity theft. Family identity theft, in which somebody who is related to you, maybe lives with you, takes from you your identity, your name, your bank account number, your social security number, and they they trade on your name. They use your name to get a loan, your name to get a credit card, your name to purchase something. And that's an even more painful thing than being robbed by a stranger, right? One online source speaks of a 48-year-old woman from Missouri facing five years in federal prison for going to college under the name of her daughter, used her daughter's name to get her driver's license, her daughter's name to enroll in school, her daughter's name to obtain financial aid. And online sources say, especially spouses and ex-spouses, have robbed by using the name of their spouse. Well, to be open and vulnerable to someone you love and to find that they have misused that relationship to gain access and to rob is a, it's a treachery. It's a betrayal. And what we did in the Garden of Eden, as we're thinking this evening, by Lord's Day 3 here, about our fall and to sin in the Garden of Eden, it was a lot like that robbery, a lot like that identity theft. And if we see that tonight, then hopefully our hearts are humbled, and we see how gracious God is to give us the Savior. Tonight, the Holy Spirit reveals to us the treachery of our fall in the Garden, so that we'll know our need of Jesus Christ. And so I'd like to proceed tonight by looking, first of all, at the the home God gave to us in the beginning, the home to live and bask in his love and in his glory, and then to look secondly tonight at the betrayal that we committed, the betrayal that we committed, and then thirdly to consider the son, the true son, the faithful son who restores us to our God. Well, first of all, the home God gave us. We're we're asking the question, really, as we're proceeding through the basic teachings of the Bible in, in Lord's Day 3, we're asking the question, so what happened? So we we're a sinful people by nature. We hate God. We hate our neighbor. What happened? How did this happen? Did God do it? Did God make us so wicked and perverse? Can we blame the manufacture of humans? It was a defect in the manufacturing process? Absolutely not. God made us good in his own image. Now, Psalm 8, as we've sung tonight and as we've Read it tonight, Psalm 8 celebrates the wonder of humanity, right, that God has made, but it does so in a very specific and significant context. The context of Psalm 8 is the beginning verse and the ending verse which proclaim, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And so we see that all the glory of man that's sung about in the psalm is a bestowed glory, but it's in the context of God's glory. That's our great home, to live and bask in God's glory. How great is your name? God's name, you remember, is not, is not just a syllable or two or three. God's name is God as he's revealed himself. It's all that God is, his, his attributes, who he is, his works of creation and providence and redemption. It's all that God has shown of himself. And God has created the universe to go public with his glory, to, to manifest his name. And so Psalm made is celebrating that. Lord, how excellent is your name. You have set your glory above the heavens. Above all creatures, the most noble creatures is the glory, the radiance, the, the illustrious beauty of God. Remember the, the call to worship this morning in Psalm 148 calls all of creation, right? Calls the sun and moon, the stars, the, the angels, the, the creeping things, all things in the universe to, to praise the name of God. Everything was made, made for God, all of creation is truly the theater of God's glory. If you could picture creation as one big stage and all these works going on on the stage, all these actors performing their function, but they were all created for one theme, to magnify their maker. The God who needed nothing was pleased to proclaim and reveal his glory, the glory of his name. Now, Psalm 8 celebrates that In the midst of this context of God's glory, God has made one creature above all the others to especially glorify him, and that's man. And he has has set man above all his works, crowned him with glory and honor, verse 5. Verse 6, you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. And so mankind, that's Man, made in God's image, male and female, were particularly formed for this purpose, to be made the lords of God's world, to rule over oceans and dry land, over animals of all kind, made a little lower than heavenly beings, but made in the very likeness and image of God. Confess it tonight that God did create man, wicked and perverse. He made him good in his own image. And, and that means to be made in true righteousness and true holiness and true knowledge of God so we can love God and know God and serve God. In fact, look at that language of question answer six. God created man good and in his own image, that is, in true righteousness and holiness. That's the essence of what it means to be made in the image of God. Not that we speak and don't bark. But the essence of being made in God's image is true righteousness, true holiness, like God, so that it lists three things. So that we might truly know God, our creator, love him with all our heart, live with him in eternal happiness for his praise and glory. So we were made uniquely to know God in a way that no animal can know God. We were made to understand consciously the wonder of who God is. Equipped beyond all creatures to sing God's praise. We were made to love God in a way that no other creature can do it. We. We're made in God's image to respond to God's covenant love and to love God back in return. that That's a gift of our creator God to us. He made us that way. And we were made to live with God in eternal happiness for his praise and glory. To find our greatest joy in in glorifying the Lord. And so all of that to say, all of that to say that it was our great delight and it was for this purpose we were made to say, oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. That was the purpose of our life. When morning gilded the sky, our heart awakening to cry, O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Going to bed at night, we were made to say, O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name. In all of the work God gave us to do on the earth, to say with, with, with every moment, how excellent is your name. That was our whole reason for existence, to glory in our God to enjoy his glory, to rule his world in his name. And Psalm 8 celebrates that because Psalm 8 knows that we didn't deserve that. We weren't worthy of that. We didn't earn that. It was a bestowed gift. We never thought to make ourselves or to make ourselves in God's image, but he did it. So it's only as we understand the home in which God has placed us at the beginning of time the home of His glory, that He gave us a place to enjoy Him, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, that that we understand then that, that when we see disorientation in the world and when we meet disorientation in our lives, it's because the ballast at the bottom of the ship has been removed. And when that happens, the ship doesn't have stability anymore and it can't face the winds and the waves. But the ballast of our lives is Psalm 8 verse 1, And Psalm 8, verse 9, O Lord, Jehovah, Jehovah our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And when you lose that, then you get very confused. We've all been disoriented at times. My father-in-law said when he was visiting with us this past week, he woke up one morning and he looked at the ceiling and he saw something on our ceiling that's not on his ceiling and he thought, where am I? We've all had that experience. Where am I? We, we know of books or movies, right? The person who wakes up with amnesia, right? They don't, they don't know how I'm related to these people who are visiting my hospital room or, or how I'm related to my body or how I'm related to work. And so their whole world doesn't make sense. They can't, they can't move forward. They can't go on. But the greatest disorientation is to be a creature who doesn't know I was made for God's glory. And the reason there's an identity crisis and people don't know who they are on this planet is because they don't know who God is. And if you don't know his name, how great is his name? You can't know your name. But God made us at home in a world of his glory. So what happened? We'll look at the betrayal, secondly, tonight. The betrayal. The betrayal of our glorious Lord who set us in this home of his glory. It's a very ugly tale, isn't it? We call it the fall into sin. The fall into sin. But that becomes oftentimes a, a kind of misleading euphemism, right? We just fell into sin. The little boy who maybe has got a Sunday clothes on and his mom says, don't don't go near the mud puddle, and he, he is really trying to obey her, and he just happens to stumble and fall in. No, that's, that's not the fall into sin. The fall into sin is a little boy whose mom says, Got a nice clothes on, don't go near that mud puddle, and as soon as she turns her back, he sprints right for the puddle, he jumps with both feet, and he begins dancing. That's the fall into sin. We willfully, arrogantly, Haughtily, purposefully, despised God and his word and rebelled. We took the side of the devil against the God who loved us. We ate of the fruit that God clearly said, Do not eat or you will die. And God had given us such remarkable privilege, and he had bestowed upon us such love, and we turned our backs on him. We betrayed our Maker and our covenant God who loved us. And it was a treacherous betrayal mentioned at the beginning, you know, family identity theft. It would be much more painful, wouldn't it? To be robbed by someone that you have loved than to be robbed by a stranger. That's what we did in the garden, though. Satan tempted us to be discontent. And he suggested that, that God was holding out He wasn't giving you the best, but if you eat the fruit, you'll be like God. You will have God's name for yourself. He was was tempting them to a kind of identity theft, to take God's name for themselves, to rob God of his glory for themselves. Now, we can read about children stealing from parents and parents from children and a sibling maybe using his brother's credit card to make a purchase. And you can imagine maybe parents saying to to a child, why would you do that to me? How could you betray me in that way? After all, I've given you and I would give you anything you needed. Why would you do that? But what does God say to his people? What does God say to us? And yes, that's the right question. What does God say to us? Because we were there in the garden. We betrayed God. Because Adam, as the Bible teaches clearly in Romans 5, is our representative, appointed by God. And when Adam sinned, we sinned. He was our God-appointed representative standing in our place. Well, what does God say? God says to his people, how could you do this to me? Jeremiah chapter 2 is a very moving chapter in that regard, isn't it? Because it begins with God saying to his people in verse 1, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness in a land not sown. What's God saying? He's reminding his people of the joy of her young love when she, when she would follow him anywhere. In a land not sown. It was a desert. And yet you were with me. Think of a young couple. They Maybe that's your case. You look back and you think, you know, we had nothing. We were dirt poor. But those were good days. We loved each other. We would go with each other anywhere. And God's he's trying to rouse this, this memory in his people. Do you remember those days when you were loved by me? And you loved me in a land not sown. And then God says in verse 4, verse 5 rather, What injustice have your fathers found in me, that they have gone far from me, have followed idols, and have become idolaters? So what was it about this marriage that wasn't good enough for you? Was it that I was too faithful? Was it that I loved you too much? Was it that it was too boring because you wished you had an erratic husband who was rough with you and and, and whose love was questionable? Is that the problem? Verse 7, I brought you into a bountiful country to eat its fruit and its goodness, but when you entered, you defiled my land and, and made my heritage an abomination. The priest didn't say, where is the Lord, those who handle the law, did not know me. Prophets prophesied by false gods, by Baal. It's gross ingratitude. They didn't want to be reminded they were debtors to God's mercy. They, they again, like Adam in the garden, we don't, we don't want to have to depend upon God. We, we want to be on top. We want to bear the name. We want to be our own gods. And then the betrayal, betrayal expressed in verses 9 through 13, God tells them to go look around the world, verse 10, and see if there has been such a thing. Has this ever happened before, verse 11, that a nation has changed its gods? Nations worship gods that are not gods, and yet nations can be faithful to their false religion for centuries. But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. The one people on earth who worship and know the true and living God and covenant fellowship with him. And while all nations are faithful to their false gods, my people exchange their glory for what is worthless. How could you do this to me? Was it because we needed something God wouldn't give us? That's certainly not the case. God gave us everything in the garden. God promised to give Israel everything. Brought her into a bountiful land. Remember when uh, Nathan the prophet comes to King David after his, his, um, his deep sins. And, and the Lord says through Nathan to David, he says, I, I made you king. I, I gave you the house of Saul and his wives. I gave you the kingdoms of, of Judah and Israel and if that had been too little I would have given you more. How could you do this to me? And then the identity theft is uncovered in verses that we didn't read tonight. Jeremiah 2 verses 6 and 7. Jeremiah 2 verses, excuse me, 26 and 27. Jeremiah two twenty six. As the thief As the thief is ashamed when he is found out, so is the house of Israel ashamed. They and their kings and their princes and their priests and their prophets, saying to a tree, you are my father, saying to a stone, you gave me birth. For they have turned their back to me and not their face. So our identity theft as God's people is not just that we, we try to take the glory of God's name for ourselves. We want it to be God. But it's even that we took the glory of God's name and, and God's people give it to a rock or a stone and they say, you are my father. You gave me birth. You, you are my Lord. And give the identity of God to something like that. Interestingly, James says that we sort of do that same thing today. James chapter 4. And he says that Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war. Then he says, yet you, you do not have because you don't ask. But then when you do ask God, you don't receive it because you wrongly ask. Because you ask so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship... With the world is enmity with God. So James says, you're betraying God again. Betraying God again. Because now in prayer, you're asking for things. But even as you ask for these things from God, it's not about God. How great is your name? It's about your own sinful pleasures. And that's unfaithfulness to God. And so we've lost all rights to God's name. We've lost our ability to see and appreciate the glory of God's name. We've, we've, we've ruined ourselves in Adam, right? Though we were made to truly know God, truly love God, truly live with God, now we're incapable of doing that. That's our natural condition. Remember G.K. Chesterton's famous line when the London Times sent out queries to the the prominent authors of the day, with the question to them, what's wrong with the world today? And he supposedly replied very briefly, dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world today? I am. We are. What's wrong with the world today? Oh, if it was only something like global warming. Oh, no. What's wrong with the world today? Humanity. All of us. And our society is filled with excuses and blame shifting. It's always someone else's fault. And that's nothing new. Adam, right away, told God what the problem was. It was the woman that you gave me. And our corruption is so severe that now, rather than lifting up psalmed and praise to God, how excellent is your name? We're all about our own names. And we would even throw God under the bus to justify ourselves. Can you imagine Adam after being so loved by God, being placed in the garden of God's love, being given a beautiful woman as his partner, should dare to say to God, you know what the problem is? It's you. It's you, God. You gave her to me. Jeremiah 2 says what the problem is. Verses 14 through 19. Well, I'll jump to verse 17. Have you not brought this on yourself in that you have forsaken the Lord your God when he led you in the way? No room for excuses there. Have you not brought on yourself, God says to us, in that you have forsaken me? That's the sad news. But is there any hope? Question 8 of the Catechism says, But are we so corrupt that we're totally unable to do any good and inclined toward all evil? Yes. Yes. Unless we are born again by the Spirit of God. The book of Jeremiah has firm indictments against us, doesn't it? But it's not all bad news. Leads to Jeremiah chapter 31. Do you remember what that says? Jeremiah chapter 31, behold, uh, Jeremiah 31 at verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Jeremiah 31, verse 33, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity. And their sin I will remember no more. Ezekiel speaks of that day too. The day when God will pour out his spirit upon his people. What a day. To know God again. That we who are made in God's image to know God and love God. Who lost that, who threw that away. Are now by the Holy Spirit remade, born again. To know God, to love God, to serve God. And all that has come now through Jesus Christ, hasn't it? God's beloved son. Why did God give his son? Was God admitting a mistake in his manufacturing of humans? You know, when a car manufacturer blows it and then there's a, a safety issue, they have to do a recall, right? And they have to pay to fix your car, whatever they made wrong. Is that why God sent his son to make up for his deficiency? Well, of course not. No, we drove the car off the cliff, willingly. When God gives his son, it's a donation of grace to undeserving sinners. And God gave a true son, didn't he? God didn't give a son who would engage in family identity theft, family fraud. He gave a son who would be faithful, didn't he? His own son. Our Lord Jesus Christ came, knowing his father, loving his father, to do the will of his father. And everywhere that we had failed, he succeeded. Everywhere we were faithless, he was faithful. Remember that? It, it, we'll come to this hopefully later on in, the, in our study of John. But in John chapter 12, even as Jesus comes to the cross, and he says in John twelve twenty seven, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. That's how faithful he is. As he looks hell in the face, I came to obey you, Father. Glorify your name in this. He did not come to rob his father, but to obey his father. Jesus Christ, by his saving work on the cross, has purchased for us a new record. Our sins are washed away. Our guilt taken away. And he's purchased for us a new heart and a new home. Now, you know where Psalm 8 comes up again in the Bible? Psalm 8 is quoted in Hebrews chapter 2. What's man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you take care of him? You've crowned him with glory and honor, set him over the works of your hands. And then the writer of Hebrews says, For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. We don't yet see the glory of humanity, do we? We don't yet see ourselves being the kinds of lords we ought to be in this creation. We, we still find ourselves being ruled over by creation. We, we, we serve our possessions too often. We, we, we fail to to execute the great commission as we ought. We, we do not appear as the glorious kings and queens we should be. In fact, we don't even yet see all creation bowing to the Lord Jesus. There's so many hearts that deny him his glory. But you know, we do see, the writer of Hebrews says, we see Christ. We see Christ lifted to glory and honor. He who tasted death for his people. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on to say in the next breath, for it was fitting... It was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one. We're one with Christ. For which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. The true son who died for us, tasted death for us, is sanctifying us, has set us apart to God. He's able to say, the writer goes on to say, he's able to say, here I am and the children God has given me. But think of those words. He's not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. Now think about this, what's going on in every worship service as the word of Christ is read and proclaimed to us. This true son of God who knows about our identity theft and our brutal treachery. This faithful son of God who tasted death for us is by his word standing in the assembly of the saints and proclaiming to us the Lord's name. He is our great worship leader who is putting back into our mouths and back into our hearts the words, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, and he alone restores us to the image of God, And repurposes our failed lives in true righteousness and holiness to know God, to love God, and to live with him in eternal happiness to his praise and glory. Can we glorify God this week? Can we rise up in the morning saying, how excellent is your name? Can we go about our work saying, Lord, how excellent is your name? Can we face trials and say, how excellent is your name? Yes, yes, in Jesus Christ. Not glory thieves, but worshipers through Christ our Lord. So the truths of Lord's Day 3 about total depravity... All that we are outside of Jesus Christ are hard truths, but we receive them in faith because in acknowledging what we were, we see how gracious God has been to us that he gave us the true son and brought us back into the family. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you praise for your beloved son. May he stand among us and declare your name to us. We thank that he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters Though he knows full well that we are the ones who robbed his father, who betrayed the father, who tried to steal the glory for ourselves, thank you for giving us your true son, for giving us a true brother, who opens a way for us to come home, and who remakes us, that the joy of our lives might be to bring you glory. Teach us, Lord, how to do that. Teach us what that means. Oh, God, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.